Hello, everyone, and welcome to New Consciousness Review. My name is Miriam Knight, and today we have our reviewers roundtable. We've brought together some of our top reviewers from the New Consciousness Review website to talk about some of the books they've recently reviewed that particularly impress them. Joining us today are Julie Clayton, Cynthia Sue Larson, and Candy Williams. We're going to start with Cynthia Sue Larson, since she has four books to tell us about. Cynthia is a best-selling author, life coach, and inspirational speaker who is known as the Quantum Optimist for helping people discover their many possible selves and to jump into their favorite lives while staying focused on the question, how good can it get? Cynthia has been featured on the Discovery Channel, the History Channel, Coast to Coast AM, and the BBC and you can watch her YouTube videos and subscribe to her free easing on her website, realityshifters.com. Welcome, Cynthia. What do you have for us today? Well, today I've got a book called Psy Wars. That's P-S-I Wars. And then the subtitle is Ted, Wikipedia, and the Battle for the Internet. This book is written by Craig Weiler. And I find it specifically of interest to me, although it should be of interest to everyone, because this covers some amazing events that took place in March of 2013, which is really recently, um, when the author, Craig Weiler, and his blog got caught up in the middle of the controversy surrounding the TED Talks. And those are the talks that have ideas worth listening to, as well as some controversy associated with Wikipedia. And what really comes to mind when I read this book was something that physicist Max Planck had once said many years ago. And people may remember this quote. He said, a new scientific truth does not triumph by convincing its opponents and making them see the light but rather because its opponents eventually die and a new generation grows up that is familiar with it. And so what was happening with Wars is the true story of what happened when author and researcher and biologist Rupert Sheldrake from England and scientist Graham Hancock were banned from inclusion in a TED Talk. They had been um, told that there were anonymous complaints. No specifics were given. <laughs> and so subsequently, the talks had to um, be either dropped or go on separately as, apart from TED. And this, this was really unprecedented. As far as I know, nothing like that had ever occurred before. And so this book tells the true story of what happened next. And it's got these juicy excerpts from emails and Internet posts describing what all these behind-the-scenes shenanigans that were playing out between basically these zealous guardians of material realism. That's why I included that um, the quote by Max Planck. And scientists and experts in the field of psi, which has to do with just research about um, what's going on with dogs who know when their owners are coming home, that kind of thing. And R- Rupert Sheldrake was basically challenging science, talking about some of the old assumptions that have been made by scientists. Um, if you're wondering what was so horribly controversial that Rupert was going to talk about. It was just to uh, challenge scientists to truly be scientific and to, you know, recognize that when we make assumptions, that colors the scientific process. 
And the assumptions themselves need to be reviewed because we've gotten to a point in time, thanks to quantum physics, that we understand now that you can't conduct an experiment without the observer having some kind of an effect as well as other factors. So this entire book is fascinating, I think, for anybody that would take for granted the truth of Internet searches, and especially with Wikipedia, people tend to take that as the, you know, just as good as a dictionary. The shocking truth is, and this is quite an expose, there are these sort of cyber squatters that are self-appointed and sit on top of these pages on Wikipedia and don't necessarily allow the truth of a matter to go through. And you can actually see this if you look behind the top page. Very few people actually do that on Wikipedia. We tend to assume, oh, it's Wikipedia, therefore it's like an encyclopedia. We don't need to doubt this. Um, however, the old encyclopedias that some of us are old enough to remember, those were written by professors, by experts in the field. That is not true of Wikipedia pages. These are primarily written by younger people, often 20-something-year-old men who don't leave their room and you know sit around on their computer all day. So it's, it's rather a shocking expose on many levels. Um, a little bit disheartening about what happened when Ted buckled to public pressure, but overall, I think this is a book everyone needs to read as we move forward through this you know, this age of information on the internet and it helps people get a sense of what really is going on behind the scenes. And give us the title again. This is Psy Wars, Ted Wikipedia and the Battle for the Internet by author Craig Weiler, W-E-I-L-E-R. You know what this reminds me of? I remember interviewing Michael Cremo uh, a couple of years ago who wrote a book called Forbidden Archaeology. And he pointed out that the basement of the British Museum, or the lower basements of the British Museum, house all kinds of artifacts that do not fit into the accepted timelines or reality of classical archaeology, and thus are never displayed to the public. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, that's. It, it, I think people deserve to know what's really going on. And I think the population at large is intelligent, especially listeners to this show, I like to think, and people that read books at New Consciousness Review. So I would love to see more of these ideas brought out into the open to be discussed and not just um, blocked or, you know, Indeed. kept away. Indeed. Okay, now we have Julie Clayton up. Julie is the reviews editor for New Consciousness Review, and she's also reviewed for Publishers Weekly. She's a freelance editor and the quiet genius behind several New York Times bestsellers and award-winning books in the new consciousness genre. She holds an MA in Integral Consciousness Studies from the John F. Kennedy University, and she is pursuing her doctorate in metaphysical science. Julie is the co-editor with me of What Wags the World, Tales of the New Consciousness, being published in September by O-Books. And her website is sacredwriting.com. Welcome, Julie. What have you got for us? Hi, Miriam. Great to be here again. Um, I have a fascinating book by... Joseph Chilton Pierce. Uh, People may be familiar with his name. He's been around for a long time. Um, The book is called Exploring the Crack in the Cosmic Egg and uh, Split Minds and Meta Realities is the subtitle. So the title itself is is quite a lot to to wrap your head around, so to speak. 
um, this book and the one that preceded it, which was called The Crack in the Cosmic Egg, actually were both were written in the early 1970s, so 40-plus years ago. Um, and Exploring the Crack that I'm talking about today had been updated and revised and is um, back on the shelves again, which is really exciting. I remember picking up... Uh, the Crack in the Cosmic Egg, a long time ago, and it's been sitting on my bookshelf ever since. This is a perennial uh, to keep on your bookshelf. The book itself is about, it explores the relationship of mind, culture, and reality, um, specifically how the mechanisms of acculturation that create uh, what he calls our self-limiting cosmic egg of consensus reality. Um, the cosmic egg really just means the sum total of our notions of what the world is, I mean, how we perceive the world. Um, it's a fascinating book. It's not easy reading because the ideas actually stretch us beyond our normal perceptions. Uh, for example, he talks about culture, and we tend to think of culture as being... Uh, a set of preset ideas from which we create reality, a cultural reality. But in fact, what he says is that, you know, what he proposes is that culturation, acculturation, excuse me, is actually a homeostatic process. In other words, it's something that our body does to keep us um, perceiving a stable identity. Um, so that alone is, is a mind shift for people to sort of wrap their heads around. And the split minds that he talks about, split minds and meta-realities, comes into play um, when, as young children, we interact with the world through primary processing. So our natural senses are how we interact with reality. And then through the process of acculturation, we lose that sense of interacting with the world in a natural way. And we put the filters of culture on everything that we perceive. Um, so it's a really, as I say, not an easy book to articulate, to read, but well worth it, and certainly a shining example of new consciousness, because that's really what new consciousness is. It's about thinking in different ways and understanding the mechanisms of how our minds work. And the book is Exploring the Crack in the Cosmic Egg, and it is by Joseph Chilton Pierce. You know, it's so interesting to see the parallels and connections between that book and the one that um, Cynthia just described, because it, it, in a sense, um, the, the Psy Wars is an attempt to find homeostasis, to keep one's perception of reality kind of controlled and, and, and manageable, something that you could be comfortable with. Hmm. Interesting. Right. And, of course, this is what Joseph and many other people have said, is that everything that we perceive, without even realizing it, we try to pour it into our frame of reference that is familiar um, and that truly the new consciousness is to recognize that mechanism and to, and in the recognition, we then have the opportunity to perceive it in a different way. 
aha, we are all cosmic egg crackers here. Exactly. Exactly. (laughs) Love it. That's great. (laughs) Okay. Okay, and now we have Candy Williams. Now, Candy left the corporate world after 13 years as a copywriter and web editor to look for something more out of life. She began her spiritual journey in earnest and now pursues her creative passions of writing and photography full-time. She is the author of Finding My Soul, A Spiritual Journey of Transformation, and she's currently working on a sequel called Choosing Love, The Key to Transforming Yourself. Candy has a BS in psychology from Loyola University, and her website is findingyourdivinity.com. Okay, Candy, you're on. Oh, hi. Um, yeah, my book that I wanted to talk about was um, Consciousness Beyond Life, The Science of the Near-Death Experience by Pim Van Lommel, uh, a medical doctor. And... Um, what I really found so um, interesting about this book was through describing the process of the near-death experience, um, what his patients were going through, because he actually was he set up a scientifically peer-reviewed study of near-death experiences. So right after people go through a cardiac arrest, he would interview people to see if they'd experienced something, you know, off while they were, you know, clinically, quote-unquote, dead. And what he was finding, you know, about these near-death experiences, I'm reading this, and I'm like, oh, my God, I feel like that's what I've been through, except for, you know, I didn't almost die. So it was was so profound um, what they were finding, how people, after a near-death experience, they they would come come back, and, and maybe it took a couple years because a lot of, these people's friends and family didn't really understand the change because they would just be so changed after the experience. But um, they actually measured, tried to find some things that they could measure um, in these people to get a better handle on what they'd gone through. And what they found is they understood themselves better. They had a more positive outlook on life. Uh, They understood the purpose of not only life, but what they were here to do. They showed more emotion. They wanted to help people more. They cared less what people thought of them. Um, they listened better. They were more accepting, more loving, more compassionate. Um, it just, they cared less about money and possessions. It was just so profound what these near-death experiences were, were creating for these people, um, completely, like, transforming their lives. And I just, and the, and the fact that a medical doctor who, you know, I don't really think a lot of doctors are, are versed in, in the kind of things that, you know, we're talking about right now, um, just because I think there's a system in place to keep that information suppressed and that a medical doctor is is so moved by a near-death experience to study it and get some scientific um, cred behind it, I think is, is really a profound thing, not only for him because it changed his life and for the patients because they had the validation but for anybody who may be skeptical they may be more inclined to pick up a book if it's by a medical doctor maybe that just gives it more you know credibility mm-hmm. than just a book by somebody who you know doesn't have some initials by their name so that's mm-hmm. what i really liked about this book and give us the title again 
Oh, sorry. Uh, yeah, Consciousness Beyond Life, The Science of the Near-Death Experience, and it's Pim, P-I-M, Van Lommel, L-O-M-M-E-L, M-D. Great. Actually, um, I'm going to jump in here with a book because it follows on from Pim Van Lommel's book. Um, it's called Induced After-Death Communication, a Miraculous Therapy for Grief and Loss by Dr. Alan Botkin. And um, he is a psychologist who worked for 30 years at the VA hospitals and was looking for something. He was discouraged because he had such little success in treating PTSD uh, amongst the veterans. And he found a technique called EMDR, which is kind of a rapid eye movement uh, technique. Um, which improved his um, batting average considerably. And then one of his um, patients, after um, a, a sequence of eye movements, went into a, a spontaneous uh, communication with the person that they had been fixating on. In this case, it was... Um, a young girl in Vietnam that he had felt responsible for her death and was able to communicate with her, saw her as a grown woman and that she was fine, that she has no ill will towards him. And the release of, of guilt was so palpable that the guy left happy and, and Botkin found that he was able to achieve in between one and three sessions, what it had taken him three or four years uh, to partially relieve. So this is a fascinating book for both um, anyone uh, associated or, or who has friends with PTSD um, and any therapists. It's Induced After-Death Communication by Dr. Alan Botkin. Okay. Cynthia, back yeah. to you. Oh, good. Well, this one ties right in, as they all seem to do. <laughs> this book is called In Your Own Hands, New Hope for People with Chronic Medical Conditions. It's written by Larry Berkelhammer, Ph.D. And what I find so amazing about this book is that the author actually himself is a sufferer of multiple chronic conditions. And he'd been living with these um, sort of inexplicably difficult, intertangled uh, medical problems for years. It was the kind of situation where every time he got diagnosed with something new, there was more bad news. He'd find out once again, there's no known cure for this. It's a very bizarre, unusual thing. And now, furthermore, the medication that you might be taking to treat your other ailments will exacerbate and make worse um, this new problem. And so just thanks to this unique series of events and his situation and being a very thoughtful person, Dr. Berkelhammer sought to find ways to manage these kinds of problems, um, and, and he had a real epiphany. He was watching a karate tournament on TV one night, and he was feeling really bad, like all of the symptoms were hitting at once with fatigue, muscle aches, chills, and, he, and actually, he felt like he was catching a cold, the flu, and he was really upset because... Um, he couldn't afford to be sick right then for a week. And so what happened is he got so involved watching that TV um, karate tournament, and he recognized he was 
actually fighting a kind of a battle inside of his own body. And he remembered that he defiantly said aloud, I'm not going to get sick. I refuse. It's not going to happen. And these weren't empty words or wishful thinking. This was really himself feeling for sure he was going to fight off and succeed at winning that against the viral invasion. And he felt amazed that he made a complete recovery. So, so what he did with this book, In Your Own Hands, is, uh, and what he's been doing with his work ever since, is really helping people understand that there's something called cognitive fusion, for example, this is the research of a man called Herbert Spector, who did an experiment when he was the head of molecular biology research at the National Institute of Health. And this is really interesting because um, he ran studies with mice, the little rodents, and he would actually expose them to a certain kind of smell like camphor and then either... Um, inject them with a chemical that stimulates the immune system, or he would um, expose mice um, to a smell and then give them a chemical that destroys the immune system. Once again, with the same smell of camphor. Okay, this in itself isn't so amazing. The amazing thing is that later, when... Um, he would take the mice that had been sort of connecting the smell of camphor with a reduced immune system response. He, all that it took was just a whiff of camphor. And those mice that had been trained that way through their bodies, um, through their immune, immune deficiency, they would quickly develop pneumonia and actually die just by being exposed to the smell of camphor. And, and so it's research like this that really inspired Berkelhammer to do what he does with the book, um, which is basically teaching people how to be mindful. That's the core of the book. It's how to go to a place of consciousness, which is four steps, uh, which follow the acceptance and commitment therapy uh, created by Dr. Stephen Hayes, which frames mindfulness in these categories of observing in the present moment, just sort of noticing what's going on, describing the experience, and just recognizing, not really judging or anything or making any labels. In other words, you want to keep yourself free from labeling yourself as ill. And then the third thing is participating in the present experience, getting in fully engaged in the activity of the moment. And so this book is packed with research and studies, and I really like books like that. So it really, through this focus on mindfulness and mindfulness practices, um, it, it encourages readers to ask themselves questions all the time and to start learning to make a regular daily practice of asking, what action am I choosing in this moment? So that's what this, this book, again, is In Your Own Hands by Larry Berkelhammer. Oh, that's really where it's at. That really is where it's at. Great. Okay. Um, Julie. Yes, well, we're, we've got a theme running here. Um, my book, my next book is called Healing, Pain, and Injury, and it's by the uh, osteopathic physician by the name of uh, Maud Nerman. And when I first saw this book, I, I sort of mentally dismissed it, as I tend to do on occasion, because I thought, oh, I don't have injury. I, I just focus on the word injury, and I thought, I don't have injury, and, you know, I don't really have pain. Um, and then when I picked it up and started reading it, I realized that, in fact, it is not just, you know, in my mind I was thinking someone who had a car accident and, you know, hurt their back or their, uh, some kind of an accident. But in fact, 
um, as with many of us who are uh, moving up in the years, um, I do have aches and pains, and this book really speaks to anyone who has ongoing, it doesn't have to be chronic, but often is, aches and pains, you know, something even like just sore joints. Our knees start to hurt, our hips start to hurt a little bit, a little achy, tweaky. Um, and what I love about this book is that it's very, um, what do I want to say, it's an anatomical book. So uh, Dr. Nerman really looks at the whole body, but she's treating you or, or treating the patient anatomically. Um, not, she doesn't look at you know, symptoms or diseases. Um, she looks at the whole body and addresses shock, inflammation, restricted motion, uh, the things that actually each of us experience in our daily lives, and as I say, especially as we get older. Um, it's, it's a fabulous book. It's very practical and pragmatic. Um, one of the things that she said that really struck home with me is life is motion. She says every fluid, every cell, every organ, joint, and bone moves, pulsates, ebbs, and flows. Um, these fierce rhythmic motions heal us, but sometimes they need help. And I really, that really hit home for me as someone, many of us, but myself, I sit in front of a computer for hours each day, and I feel the, the um, results of being in a fixed position, you know, my body not moving. Fortunately, I'm able to get up and move around, but when you've been sitting for a while, I think we all know that we, we feel that our neck gets a little stiff, our hips get a little stiff. Um, so life is motion and healing is motion. And what she really advocates and treats and presents in this book is how to get everything moving again so that the body can heal itself. Um, and as I say, it's very pragmatic. You can use this. You can pick up this book and read it and follow her instructions, follow her explanations of how everything works. There are exercises you can do. Um, you know, if you have headaches, neck injury, sleep problems, scars that tweak your, your skin, uh, it's, it's just a fantastic healing program. Um, Great. She has, uh, and, the, yeah. and the title again? Healing Pain and Injury by Maud Nerman. How do you spell Nerman? N-E-R-M-A-N. Just like it sounds. Wow. Yep. Okay. <laughs> well, I really, I, I love the way you um, mentioned this life as motion because it sounds like that's the way to remember the big idea in the book. And I've noticed it's just with elderly dogs, in my own dog and a, a friend's dog, that when the dogs run and jump, even if they're 15, 16 years old, they act, they're like puppies again and it doesn't take that much. So, wow. I, I just love the idea of that book. It sounds so exciting. Yeah, yeah, it really is. Right. Okay. Candy, what do you have for us now? Okay. My next book was uh, Your Redefining Moments, Becoming Who You Were Born to Be by Dennis Merritt Jones. And uh, a funny thing, not having to do with uh, what was in the book, but I actually had a hard time uh, getting 
getting this book and, and the, when I actually finally did, um, it happened to be at the exact right time where I was having a total crisis of confidence. And it was like my soul was like, here you go. Uh, I haven't forgotten you. <laughs> you know, read this book. And so it was like a breath of first year when I got this book. I was like, oh, you know, I really needed this. Um, what it's about is, you know, being our authentic selves. And what that means is doing and being who we came here to be. And that's easier said than done, <laughs> you know, with all the programming and, and culture and, and the things that we've been talking about. Um, it's almost frowned, frowned upon um, if someone steps out of the norm, what society tells you to do. Um, it's almost frowned upon, but this book is about if you're listening to yourself, if you're truly um, following your bliss, which, you know, he actually um, talks about Joseph Campbell quite a bit in this book and the hero's journey. If you're truly following your bliss, then you will be doing exactly what you came, you incarnated, you know, on earth to do. And uh, I just thought that was really profound that the only, the, I mean, we don't have to be special. We don't have to do anything big. It's just being whatever we came here to be. And that's so beautiful that each of us has something valuable to give to the world. And that could just be, you know, being a sister or a friend or a mother. You don't have to, you know, write bustling novel or, you know, have, you know, a position of authority or anything like that to, to really change the world. So that's what I really found the most profound about this book. So again, it is uh, your redefining moments, uh, becoming who you're born to be, by Dennis Merritt Jones. It's always a quest, I think, of of everyone on the spiritual path to decipher what you exactly were born to be. So, does does he give any uh, hints on how to find your purpose? Yeah, he, um, there's um, exercises at the end of, of the chapters. And, um, you know, he, what I, I like, too, about um, this author is that he, he talks a lot about his life and how he has found his way. And so, you know, just kind of being the example, you know, using himself as an example for the kinds of things that he did. But what I really liked is that he, he though he does have exercise in the book, he makes it very clear that each of us is unique. And, 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 yes, he's writing this book, and, and we can read books that can help us remember who we came here to be. But at the end of the day, it's our own personal journey. It's our own personal hero's journey that nobody else can, can take. So, you know, I think I lose track of that sometimes. You know, I find myself thinking, well, I should be doing this or I should be doing that. And, and that's when I get off center. So it's important to get back to your center and be who it is that you came here to be, not what somebody else thinks you should be doing or being or, you know, not caring what other people, you know, think you're supposed to be doing. It's just what we, what gives our hearts joy to be doing in the moment. And that could just be, you know, doing nothing. Sometimes that's all you feel like doing. And that's doing it do. with bliss. Okay. Right. <laughs> so. That's what I like. He wasn't trying to, you know, shove anything down anybody's throat. He was just saying, hey, we each have our own, you know, note to play in the symphony, and, and that's how it should be. That's the beautiful thing about this whole, you know, this whole experience we call life. We're all special. So. Absolutely. 
Great. Okay, and that was your Redefining Moments by Dennis Merritt Jones. Yeah. Um, Cynthia, I think we're back to you. Awesome. Well, the next book that I've read that I loved is called Brain Changer, How Harnessing Your Brain's Power to Adapt Can Change Your Life. This one is written by David DeSalvo. That's D-I-S-A-L-V-O. And he's written some other books that were pretty popular, like What Makes Your Brain Happy and Why You Should Do the Opposite. He's um, <laughs> actually, <laughs> I know, he's a best-selling author, and he's written um, lots of science articles for various publications, I think for Scientific American and so forth. And, and what I love about this particular book is that he writes in this new category called Science Help. So it's a very practical way to share insights from recent findings in neurological science, cognitive science, and it's the kind of things that have to do with thinking errors, as he calls them. And you might wonder, like, well, what's a thinking error? But you've heard it when other people do it. Uh, it has to do with things like all-or-nothing thinking. When someone says, um, like, they're talking in absolutes, and there's no middle ground, and this would never happen, or that always happens, and, you know, that kind of thing, as well as overgeneralization, disqualifying the positive or the negative, and, you know, magnifying, minimizing, those kind of things. So he covers ideas like that, as well as psychological categories of personality that have to do with qualities that we all have, such as openness, extroversion, conscientiousness, agreeableness and neuroticism and, and the findings that are coming out of scientific research recently that show we can really change some of these. Your personality is not as stuck as a lot of people think it is. So this is a fabulous book that does have some really good um, ideas and it, it presents things, that uh, new findings from the theory of mind. So it's, it's a way to come up to speed pretty quickly in what's been happening in psychology and you know the, the whole field of cognitive science as it applies to our daily lives, what we're learning about how we can stop negative thoughts and get ourselves into some positive feedback loops with the way that we're thinking. So it's it's pretty amazing. It's got it's also has some fun things like if you just want a small boost of brain efficacy um, because you're distracted or you're unmotivated, then you can just swish some sugary drink in your mouth just for a second. I guess you don't have to drink it. You can probably spit it out again like a wine taster. And then you immediately get this uh, tremendous charge of energy and focus. And, and so it's got tips about how to change habits by changing your routine, um, how to get better sleep with six things that are scientifically proven to improve your odds of getting at least six hours of sleep a night, um, things like that. So it's an excellent book for people interested in just coming up that learning curve of what we now know to be true about how we think. And how thinking about thinking greatly improves our lives. So this is what I wish all of the kids um, today would be learning. I think they need to know this. So if you're a parent or you work with children, um, it's, this is an astonishingly good book for that especially. This is Brain Changer, How Harnessing Your Brain's Power to Adapt Can Change Your Life. The author is David DeSalvo. That sounds fascinating. Yeah, I really liked it. And it's, it's got pictures, too. Another book to read. <laughs> Yay! Yay. <laughs> that, was, that was the frustrating thing about the last roundtable that we had. I, I added to my reading list. Yeah, well. Okay, Julie, what you got? Hey, I have a Perceptual Integration 
The Mechanics of Awakening by Gary Sherman. Um, it's interesting, Cynthia, you just mentioned about, you know, children learning how to think and us as adults thinking about thinking because this is a book that really outlines the process of becoming self-aware, so really noticing our thinking. Um, and one of the things that stood out for me is that the author says becoming self-aware is not a psychological issue, but an educational one. And he is a strong advocate for teaching children, uh, you know, as well as adults, to um, become self-aware. And he is a um, psychotherapist and spiritual teacher, the author. He's been practicing for 40 years. And he has developed a very clear understanding of how we can become self-aware. There are three primary skills that he identifies for self-awareness. Um, taking control of your attention is the first one grounding yourself in the fact of your body and releasing yourself from the function of the mind. And what he means by that, of course, refers back to uh, Joseph Chilton Pierce, which is that we do things habitually without even thinking, without realizing what we're doing, without paying attention to our thoughts. Um, this is a, this is probably one of the most useful books I have come across in a long time for anyone to become more self-aware by realizing what they think and how they think. Um, you know, he, he points out that we forget that what we perceive as out there in the world out there is actually separate from our perception of it. Um, and so attention is one of the core uh, elements to be paying attention to. Where do we give our attention to? We're always putting it out there, out there, out there. And what he does is he brings us back to understanding how we can bring it back in um, and become more self-aware. It's a wonderful book. I would highly recommend it. And again, it's called Perceptual Integration, The Mechanics of Awakening by Gary Sherman. You know, it's interesting that um, so many spiritual teachers talk about mindfulness. And I don't know what mindfulness is other than self-awareness. Right. Yeah. 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 He, he makes an interesting point, too. He says that uh, our thoughts and our emotions collapse in on themselves. So we have a thought and then it triggers a feeling or vice versa. We have a feeling and it triggers a thought, but they collapse in on themselves. He gives an example. He says, you know, he said to his wife, I don't think you love me as much anymore. And she said back to him, do you not think that? Do you think that or do you feel that? And that point alone, you know, encouraged him, reminded him to tease out the thoughts from the emotions. Um, and that's part of the whole process of paying attention. Uh, it, it's really, it's a wonderful, wonderful book. Very interesting. Um, and it was called? The Perceptual Integration, The Mechanics 
of Awakening by Gary Sherman. Very good. Okay, Candy, how about your last book? Oh, okay. I, th- I think I saved the best for last. I, th- I really enjoyed this book. It was The Hero's Journey, Joseph Campbell on His Life and Work. Um, this is actually a compilation of um, uh, notes and quotes and, and excerpts from Joseph Campbell books that was edited um, by Phil, oh, I hope I pronounced his name right, Kusanu. 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 Yeah, and it's just, it's such a really, really fascinating look at Joseph Campbell's life. And what it does is it takes the framework of the hero's journey, which, of course, Joseph Campbell um, pioneered, and it, it breaks down his life uh, from, you know, pretty much early childhood to his death and, and breaks it up into the stages of the hero's journey. And uh, just from beginning to end, I was just so in awe of how, you know, even before he realized what he was doing, he was following the siren song of his soul. And because of that, you know, so many people have been gifted by the knowledge that he was able to um, instill in books like The Hero with a Thousand Faces. And he's inspired countless people um, through his work to go on their own hero's journey. And, you know, if he wouldn't have done that, I don't even want to think about it, you know. Uh, by being his authentic self, um, he was able to help other people find their authentic paths. And I think that ties back into the, the other book I read. You know, it's so important for us to to be who we came here to be because, you know, you never know that that smile that you give the cashier at the checkout or that you know, kind word that you say to somebody could completely change their life and help them have the courage to also embark on their own hero's journey and be who they came here to be. And the world would be, you know, a better place in a second, an instant, you know, if we were all, you know, being our authentic selves. So, you know, I really enjoyed this book. And I also like, um, because we're all big readers, obviously, um, I really like that they mentioned books that inspired Joseph Campbell, um, on his hero's journey, um, one of the books was The Romance of Leonardo da Vinci uh, by Dimitri, oh, I love these last names, Marin Joukowsky, and also a book called The Light of Asia um, by Edwin Arnold. And uh, they mentioned these books as being like things that had completely blown his mind and, and made him, you know, kind of illuminated um, his path for him. and. I find that, that that happens in my life, too. You know, I'll get a book, and it'll just help me continue on my, my authentic soul path. And so, yeah, this book was very, very good. Um, even if you never read Joseph Campbell, which I personally, I, I knew who Joseph Campbell was, and I knew about the hero's dream, but I'd never read any of his work before. Um, it's a great introduction um, to his life and work, and uh, just a really well done, um, very, very interesting book to read. So again, it's uh, The Hero's Journey, Joseph Campbell and His Life and Work um, by Joseph Campbell and edited by Phil. Who's a new? Great. Okay. Um, I think we're back to Cynthia. Yes. And now I've got a book that's really, if you like thinking about thinking, that's what this book is all about. It's, it's really for a thinker's thinker and it's called Axiogenesis 
which is uh, an essay in Metaphysical Optimalism by Nicholas Rescher. And this author is actually, he's an amazing gentleman. He's written over 80 books. He's a university professor of philosophy at the University of Pittsburgh. And I actually sought this book out because its um, I'm actually very interested in physics, what's happening now with the breakthrough discoveries that are going on. And I understand that the framework and the basis for all scientific thought needs to start with actually philosophy. And I'm, I'm one of those people that really believes that philosophy is not dead, but actually we need to start there. So this book is remarkable because it's the foundation that I believe a lot of the new thinking that's springing up that you're going to hear more and more about. Um, you might already have heard of popular books like Biocentrism by author Bob Berman and um, you know people that are talking about these fine-tuning constants and why is it that... Uh, it, that we have the world that we have. Why is there anything at all? Why does anything even exist? And so this axiogenesis book, the idea behind it, starts with the philosophy of this fine-tuned universe that brings to our attention the fact that life here on this planet Earth and in our galaxy and this universe is astonishingly well-suited for our being here with odds against it that are statistically improbable. I mean, you'd never play a lottery with odds like this. It's just way beyond anything that you'd ever expect to happen. And um, if, if you've been following what's going on with the Higgs boson and so forth, it's just getting more and more obvious that this universe is ridiculously improbable. And so that's why I'm fascinated by a book like this one, Axiogenesis. It's the only book that I know of, like its kind, getting to the heart of this philosophy that really started with Plato and philosophers like Leibniz who followed Plato, who wondered why is it that such a principle of optimality uh, exists and it kind of is a self-fulfilling kind of an answer and so this is a book of philosophy with logic reasoning all the way through why is it that we live in such a place why does this universe exist and not something else and the, the answer in this book and by this author this philosopher is because it is for the best so it's really a kind of self-validation, but that's precisely what does make sense in a world where nature is the great optimizer. And that's what I'm noticing when I'm following cutting-edge research in quantum physics, quantum biology, what's going on with photosynthesis. And then, like I said, you're going to see more and more books talking about the fact that it seems like all of life is, in fact, selecting reality to be good for what it is. So it's this concept of biocentrism that's very popular right now. But where does it all start? It starts with thinking about thinking. It starts with this idea of axiogenesis that Nicholas Rescher has done a brilliant job summarizing. So um, I have to admit, if, if you don't like reading through logical theories and constructs. This might not be a book for everyone, um, but for people who really want the foundation, like what's going on, you know, for people who are readers, readers, who, who really want something rock solid, here's what I would heartily recommend. The book is Axiogenesis, an essay in metaphysical optimalism by Nicholas Rescher, and that's spelled R-E-S-C-H-E-R. And it what I love, again, is just that it's talking about holism, the idea that you can't break things into pieces and think you've understood it. That's a logical failure. And most of science that does that is making just a, a bonehead mistake right at the beginning. Um, I'm not going to go into the details of that, but um, if, if scientists are listening, then they'll know what I'm talking about and hopefully be inspired to read this to further um, all of science right now. 
That really does sound fascinating. And it is very encouraging to hear this kind of holistic thinking actually making inroads into the forefront of scientific thought. Yeah, I, I think it's exciting, too. And so, I, and actually, I'm very encouraged. I, I mentioned this other book, and maybe I should say the name of it as well, since I've spoken of it. And, and that's the book Biocentrism by Robert uh, Lanza. Um, and it's, um, you know, and also Bob Berman. And basically, the idea of that book is what if life selected this universe? So that one is, if people like the idea and they think, okay, I don't want to read something quite so heavy in the philosophy department, um, you know, or if they pick it up and think, oh my goodness, didn't realize it would be, you know, just you know, dealing with all of the concerns, um, because that's what philosophy does. It basically deals with um, possible complaints and concerns and questions people might have with this idea and, you know, attacks that might be made on it. So it's basically handling all of the comers and recognizing, okay, let's take a look at optimalism and why holism works. Whereas a book like Biocentrism is much more for the everyday reader and it's easier to read. So it's it's written for uh, just, um, you know, anybody to read, actually. And it's quite enjoyable and it's fun and playful. Although I have to say it, it struck me as a bit arrogant so maybe that was just me the, the book biocentrism um you know but it, i think some people who are writing about these topics because they're handling everything it, it takes a lot of chutzpah to write about stuff like that <laughs> okay i'm going to sneak one last book in it's called digestive intelligence a holistic vision of your second brain by irina matvekova md and it is absolutely full, chock full of fascinating facts, as well as a wonderful synthesis of both allopathic and alternative views of how the digestive system works, what can go wrong with it, why it goes wrong, how you can fix it. And it's all, it's a, a slim little volume. It's absolutely amazing. I, give you a few examples. Um, our nervous system, our, uh, sorry, our gut, the small intestine, um, has more neurons than our spinal cord. Um, 90% of serotonin, the uh, chemical that SSRIs, you know, like Prozac, um, attack and, and permit uh, sorry, attack the enzymes and permit its reabsorption because they're so important to our feeling good. 90% is actually produced and stored in the gut, not in the brain. So um, she talks about the importance of uh, good digestion, of fiber, you know, the good diet, the importance of detoxification, things like colonics, um, uh, and uh, fiber, probiotics, um, even deep breathing. Um, one of you uh, was talking about the importance of action, movement. Um, deep breathing actually stimulates our gut. The movement of the diaphragm keeps everything moving along. When we sit scrunched over, for hours on end, we tend to forget to breathe, and that gets everything really clogged up. And the things that can go wrong with our digestive system, I'm sure you all have had 
evidence of over the years. Anyway, I won't belabor it, but um, also I, I invite you to listen to my interview with Irina um, on ncreview.com. It's really very fascinating. So that was Digestive Intelligence, A Holistic Vision of Your Second Brain by Irina Matvekova, MD. Well, that sounds well, really cool. <laughs> it, it, it's just uh, really an eye-opener. Anybody who has IBS, Crohn's disease, you know, even just um, uh, gastric reflux, uh, heartburn, whatever, um, read this book. It is an eye-opener and really solid. And I, she gets into this at all, but I've heard a doctor that I love very much mentioning that um, you can think of p- food as either being medicine or poison, and you need to start looking at food choices that way. A lot of people don't make that connection, but and it's very individual you know, for each person. Absolutely. I mean, the, the whole prevalence of leaky gut syndrome where we're we get toxins coming out through the walls of the intestine and just poisoning our body. Um, it's just so important. I really, um, I really commend the book to you and just focusing on your digestion. Uh, very, very important. Well, um, we're kind of in on the, the downslope, and I just wanted to say to our listeners that we would love to get your feedback on the kinds of books and films that are of particular interest to you. If there are some areas you'd like us to expand our coverage or we, other areas that we haven't covered that you'd like us to, please let us know. You can go to our website, ncreview.com, and just use the Contact Us form and give us your feedback. Yeah, actually, this is that's a great idea because most of us on this show, as people can tell, love to read. So it doesn't take much twisting of the arm to get us to read something new. <laughs> <laughs> so true. Absolutely. Well, um, I wanted to thank each of our reviewers, um, Julie Clayton, Cynthia Sue Larson, and Candy Williams, for your sterling and brilliant insight into uh, these books. Um, you know, it's, it's very frustrating for us when we get a pile of books, you know, even trying to select which ones we're going to put across today. So well done, ladies. Really fascinating choices. And I, I love the way these books go together. And this has happened last time, too, and it's, it's always so amazing to hear just the way that we're talking about mindfulness today that came up and this idea of the individual and the culture, the society, and also health. So lots of amazing themes and trends. <laughs> Absolutely. So say goodbye, Julie and Candy. Goodbye, ladies. Bye. It was delightful, <laughs> wonderful. Thanks so much. So so many books, so little time. <laughs> <laughs> and thank you all for being with us today. We hope you'll join us next week on New Consciousness Review. Um, in the meantime, I'm Miriam Knight and uh, Julie Clayton, Cynthia Sue Larson, Candy Williams saying goodbye. Thank you for listening. <laughs>